I'll let them get dismissed. Um, I have a request for all of you as we begin to uh, delve into the message this morning. Um, and, and it's a request that I myself have to, uh, request to myself, I guess, and, and to you guys. And uh, it's simply this. Um, we're about to open up God's Word together. Uh, the Word of God that was written by man, inspired by God, given to us that we might know Him, uh, see His goodness. And um, we're going to dive into a text uh, in Romans where we're going to look at the promises and the benefits we get as believers in the Gospel of Christ. And, and so as we do that, I want to encourage you guys to set aside, what am I having for lunch after church? Set aside, how am I going to deal with so-and-so later? Set aside, oh, I have all this homework to do or these lessons to prep or I have to fix said combine or fix said tractor. Or just I want to encourage you guys to set all that stuff aside for just a little bit. And, and join me as we look at the benefits and the promises that we as believers get in the gospel of Christ. Um, I want to read the whole text for you, and then we will open up with a word of prayer. Romans 8, starting in verse 1, says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning and open up your word, we pray for clarity and understanding. We pray that you would help us to see your word clearly and through it be encouraged uh, by the gospel and be challenged to respond to it. Uh, thank you for this time and this opportunity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I had an interesting thing happen to me this week, earlier in the week. I think it was on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I, was, I was at work 
And for those of you who don't know, I'm the janitor at the high school. And I was preparing for the uh, kiddos to come back to school that Wednesday, and I was uh, cleaning out the office garbage cans, and my phone rang. And it was unusual for my phone to ring this early in the morning, because I think it was like 6.30 or something, because I start at 6. And so I look at my phone, and it's my wife calling me. And again, that's another weird thing, because usually my wife doesn't call me until, uh, you know, she's woken up, gotten a few cups of coffee in her system, and fed the kids breakfast, which usually doesn't happen until later on in the morning. And so I answer my phone, already kind of like, huh, something weird's going on. And, and so as I answer the phone, these are the first two things I hear on the other side of the line. I hear the f- smoke alarm going off, and I hear my wife coughing, like profusely. And so right away I'm like, whoa. And, and so my wife begins to tell me that, Jeremy, I think the house is on fire. All I see is smoke coming up the stairs, and I can't find Hannah. And that's all I heard. And that scared me. And so as fast as my legs would carry me, I sprinted from the school to my house uh, as fast as I could go. And, and as I'm running, I'm preparing for the worst. I'm preparing for, okay, uh, well, they're upstairs. At least two of the kids and my wife are upstairs, hopefully, so we can get them off the balcony if the house is on fire. And, and, and they should be okay. They'll probably roll their ankle or something. But they'll survive. They won't get burned alive in a fire. So that's good. Um, I will run in if I have to and, and get the other two kids or get them out of their bedroom window or whatever it is we have to do to save them. Um, as far as my dog goes, well, good luck, Rex, because I'm not going to run into fire to get you. Sorry, bro. Love you, but not happening. And um, another thing slipped my mind as I was uh, running towards what I perceived to be a, a house fire. I'm really glad I have house insurance. You know, because if something does happen, I mean, they'll help me out. They'll, they'll give me the money I need, and that's kind of why I pay them, right? They'll, they'll help me out with that. And, and so, obviously, our house didn't burn down, because I'm assuming you guys would have heard about that. No, everything was fine. What really happened was, is my dear, dear Hannah Bear had decided to make herself a breakfast corn dog. And she put said breakfast corn dog in the microwave, as she normally does. But in, this time, instead of uh, putting it in for one minute, she added an extra zero on the end of that on accident. So she cooked a corn dog for 10 minutes, and it literally started that microwave on fire. We're still trying to get the smell out of our house. It was really gross. And, and luckily, by the time I got home, Stephanie had already uh, braved to go down the stairs and figure out what was going on, and she got the fire out as I, you know, come sprinting into the house. And so, <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning of my week, which was super fun. Um, as we jump into Romans, uh, first a little background as per usual. Romans was obviously uh, written by the Apostle Paul. He uh, Essentially what Romans is is uh, Paul's attempt to articulate the gospel to its full depth, and he does that. All 16 chapters of Romans is just this epic explanation of the gospel. Um, And as we dive into Romans 8, we're getting to the point in the letter where uh, Paul is, he's just finishing up a thought about wrestling with the law and sin and the struggle between wanting to obey God but not being able to. And he's about to jump into what most theologians these days call 
the inner sanctuary of the Christian faith. Because Romans 8, if you guys are familiar with it, is a beautiful chapter in the book of Romans. It is a beautiful chapter full of promises and full of uh, God's goodness. And, Ro- uh, and Paul just like, I mean, he spills out some praise as he's going through this, uh, this train of thought in Romans 8. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is we're just going to walk through the first 13 verses. And I'm going to hopefully rightly pull out some promises that we as believers hold in Christ uh, because of the gospel to remind us, to encourage us, uh, so that as we go into the fall season, right, all of us harvesting and we're busy with life and we're starting new careers and we're doing all of these uh, things that we can be reminded of uh, the gospel because we so easily forget. We so easily uh, go at it our own. And then when life gets dumped on us with something, then, then we remember to go back to the gospel. And, and so I'm hoping that by doing this, I can encourage us to go to the gospel more often. Because the gospel doesn't just save us, it sustains us. And as we look through this text, you'll begin to, you'll begin to see that. So we'll jump into the first part. And it's going to be the first four verses. Starting off with the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love how bold Paul comes out at first, right? He, if you go back into Romans 7, and, and I'll touch on it more in a little bit, but if you go back into Romans 7, uh, Paul is just finished wrestling with... Uh, Again, like I said, the struggle of the law and of sin, and I have I want to do these things, but I keep doing these things that I don't want to do, and and a wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death, right? And then in the very next chapter, it's as if he's going into self-talk and he's starting to talk to himself, and so he's going, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, essentially, this first promise for us this morning is this. God has set us free from the penalty of sin. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. And essentially what that means is uh, imagine with me, if you will, that because this is all judicial. So let's imagine in our heads a court and a judge and a man standing before the judge is about to receive his sentence. And let's imagine that this man has just you know, I won't give examples, but let's just imagine he's done the most heinous crime you can ponder up in your head. And he's standing before the judge, and the judge stands and goes, I find you not guilty, you are free to go. How do, you, how, how do, we, how do we get to that? How does that happen? How is it that God can look at us as condemned people? Because let's be straight, guys, we are before God, if we compare ourselves to God, not comparing ourselves to the person next to us, not going, oh, well, so-and-so did this, or not comparing yourself to Hitler, because we all like to do that. It's easy to compare ourselves to Hitler and look good. But try comparing yourself to the holy and just, good, perfect God who uh, sits on a mighty throne and is all-powerful and like owns this world because he made it. Compare yourself to him. We stand condemned. Uh, not just on our acts, but by our, very, uh, by our very nature, we are against him from the, from birth, right? 
And, and how is this possible that this person committing these heinous crimes now uh, has the judge stand up and say, not guilty, you're free to go? Well, we will read on and I will show you. The next part of the next verse. <clears throat> For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What has happened here is that, like I mentioned before, we are either one of two things. We are either under one, one of two natures, if you will. We either have sin nature and we're ruled by that, or we are ruled by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you are ruled by the Spirit. So you're either over here, sin nature, or you're over here, spirit nature. And essentially what Christ has done as he has taken us from one dominion to another. He did the work. It's nothing we did. There's nothing we could have done to do it, as the text will reveal as we press on. And so he has brought us over from one dominion, the dominion of the law of sin and death, over to the new law of the Spirit in Christ. And how does he do that? He explains. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So God has stepped in and done what we were unable to do. Because of our flesh and because we're under this dominion of sin nature, we try to obey the law and one, we can't do it. Or if we do do it well, we're doing it with selfish ambition because, wow, look at me, I can follow the law. I'm so much better than you guys. Okay? Right? Yeah? And, and so it's all embedded in selfishness. There's no way we can add up to God's goodness because of our nature. And so God stepped in. He did something we could not do. And what did he do? Well, the verse reveals it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, um, Likeness of sinful flesh. Let me explain. Let me flesh out what that means. Did you guys catch that? Good. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you caught that. Because um, I thought it was funny when I wrote it. Anyways. Um, <laughs> as we look at this, we will see that uh, when the text says in the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul's being really careful here. Because what he's doing is, is he's saying that Jesus became fully human but not the sinful part because he never sinned, right? He knew what it was like to be like us, fully human, but without the sin. And so in order for uh, us to be forgiven, that's what Christ had to do. He had to come and become like us, or as Hebrews 6 says, it says that, um, that he, had to, he became our high priest. Essentially what that means, a, a priest is essentially someone who goes before God representing like the rest of the people. So like in the Old Testament times, the priest was the representative of the people of Israel, and he'd go before God as the representative. And so Christ becomes that perfect high priest because he became man like us. And then he stood before God, not with our sin nature, but with perfection because he's God. And that was the only way that that could uh, happen so that he could condemn sin in us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us Right? So do you see the exchange here? Do you see that Jesus Christ coming and uh, living a perfect life and then dying on the cross and raising three days later from the grave? 
the gospel, right? You see how the gospel takes us as these sinful nature. We're standing before the judge. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve his wrath. And he exchanges it. Jesus takes it upon himself and says, not guilty to you. You fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in Christ. Not because of your works, but because of his works. Amen? You can say amen. I'm cool with that. Thank you. Fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Um, this is going to lead us into our next promise. And, and so the first promise is, and the first uh, I guess, benefit of being in Christ and having the gospel is that, guys, you don't stand condemned for your sins anymore. That means that you don't have to live in a manner of life where when you do something wrong, you feel guilty about it because you've been forgiven. That doesn't mean, you know, don't not repent and stuff. Don't do that. But it just means that when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, it is not hinging on your good acts. Because like I've already discussed with you, you can't be good enough. But the beauty of that hard truth that we can't be good enough is that Christ was and he gave us his righteousness so that we could stand before God and God could say, hello, daughter, hello, son, welcome. I love you. You are my child. And so that's the first promise I want to encourage you guys with this morning. The, the first promise is, is that as believers in Christ, you no longer stand condemned before God. Hey, nobody's over there. Could someone bump me over to the next slide? Just hit the arrow key. Sorry about that. My thing decided to freeze on me. Oh, it moved over. Cool. Well, it just didn't move over on mine, so. All right, so I'll just use my Bible then for the rest of the time. Starting in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, the next promise is that in Christ Jesus, because of the gospel, we have been given uh, a new mindset, a new uh, orientation in life, a new aim in our life. We have been, again, taken away from a dominion of sin and death and moved over to a new dominion in Christ. And so because of that, we don't only stand free from condemnation, but we also are given a new mindset and a new uh, a new life, if you will. Let's just go with that. Um, he starts off, Paul, uh, sharing this benefit with us by comparing the flesh versus the spirit, right? Those who live, I'll just read it again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So essentially what this is saying is Paul is just comparing people who are in Christ and people who are not. Those who are not in Christ are people who are unable to submit to God's law. One, probably because they have no desire to. Um, they have no desire to please God or 
or uh, uh, make much of him or bring glory to his name when they do good deeds or thank God for the many gifts that he has given them, they have no desire to do that. It's because they're not in Christ. Uh, sometimes that's why uh, I get bothered by Christians who wrongfully judge people who aren't in Christ. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times we'll look down on people who, you know, sin and we're like shocked by it, but it's like, they're not in Christ, guys. Why are we surprised that they're doing this? They're not in the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They have no desire to make much of him. They don't care. So why should we be mad at them? Right? That's just a totally extra um, thought from me. But essentially when he says the flesh, there are people who by, uh, by their very nature, the way they live their lives, they live as if there is no God. Right? They live in a world where what you see is what you get. This is the life we have, you know, be merry for tomorrow we die, right? And that's their mindset. This is all we get. There's nothing else to look forward to. Um, And so because they have this nature or live their life in this way, that is their mindset. They're unable to see God and they have no desire to uh, perceive the things beyond what you see. At surface level, right? Or if they do try, it's twisted and, and, and wrong. And then he compares it to those who live according to the Spirit. First of all, we live according to the Spirit not because we're better than them. No. No. Uh, because as we'll see in a few verses, we're still going to be wrestling with that sin nature for the rest of our lives, even as Christians. But what makes us different is that in the Spirit... We are bought by Christ. He did the work for us. He's the one that saved us. So again, we get no credit. We are no better than those who live in the flesh. But now because of that, Christ has given us his Holy Spirit. It's been indwelt in us. And so as we go about our lives, we see life from a new perspective. Our life orientation has changed. As Christians, when we eat a good steak... We eat a good steak and good and go and should go. Mm, Thank you, God, that I get to enjoy this delicious steak. Thank you that you created the cow that eventually was humanely killed so that I could eat him. It's delicious. Thank you, Lord. I can praise your name for that. We go beyond just what the surface is, right? Right worship is our entire lives, everything we do, being shot back up to God. And those who live in the flesh are unable to do that, right? If this is God's world, if he made it for us to bring him glory and praise, and he made everything in it to do that, then everything we do as Christians in the Spirit is going to be for that aim. If we are in the Spirit, our aim of life should be to glorify him. How we teach, how we raise our children, how we take care of those we take care of when we work, how we do everything, how we pick up eggs when we're uh, picking eggs from the chickens or whatever. You know, I'm reaching here, but you know what I'm saying? We're doing this in the mindset of the Spirit because Christ has bought us and made us his own. And so now that we are owned by him instead of the law of sin and death, we have new mindsets. And that's the second promise is that in Christ we have new mindsets. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life 
and peace. What I love about what Paul does here is he compares, you know, he compares life in the flesh without Christ and he compares life in the in the spirit with Christ. And, and he adds not just life at the end, but life and peace. I, I love that he says this. Because what I find in the world that we live in today is that that's what we're looking for. All the political talk, all the race to get the right person in office to save us, to give us actual peace, all the desires we have to, to have world peace and figure out how we can do that. The only way we can do that is in Christ. The only way we can do that is getting back to the person who rightly rules the world we live in. If we have our minds on the things of the Spirit because of Christ, then we actually have real, tangible peace that no one else can actually ever feel without Christ, which should spur us on as Christians to preach the gospel ever so more boldly because we want them to enjoy that peace with us. Amen? Food for thought. Life and peace. And and so this morning, that's the second promise that we have in the gospel of Christ, guys. We are not only standing before God, not condemned for our sins anymore, even though we deserve to be condemned. We are also given a new spirit, a new life, a new aim, and a new mindset. Verse 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you are raised you, you who raised, sorry, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, the next promise is simply this. As Christians, as I've already mentioned, we still have to deal with, uh, with the effects of our sin nature, do we not? Is anyone in here perfect? If you are, call me. I want some advice, okay? Um, what we find is, is that this other promise is, is that when we get the Holy Spirit indwelt in us, we get the means to fight our flesh and put it to death, right? He gives us that ability. And, and the encouragement here is, is, again, Paul's talking to a church. He's talking to believers in Christ. He's talking to, to us who are in Christ, and he's saying, you know, he's making these comparisons between the flesh and the flesh is death and and don't go this way, but you guys aren't there. You guys are in the Spirit. So for us, that means that if you are in here this morning and you are in Christ, you are a born-again, saved believer, all right? You have the Holy Spirit in you, right? You no longer stand condemned for your sin, and that means... That as you fight and battle your inner demons and your struggles with sin and your struggles with wanting to hit so-and-so for saying such and such, you can fight all those urges in Christ because he's going to enable you to change and grow. 
That's sanctification. That's what sanctification is. It's uh, learning to live like we already are. Does that make sense? Because, again, like I said, we already stand not condemned. We're already not guilty in Father God's eyes. And so now a part of sanctification is us literally getting to that point where we're actually like Christ. And, and this life is marked with us going through the hardships we go through in order to get to that point. And again, if your mindset is on the spirit, as we are called to be as Christians, then you're going to be looking at every event that happens to you in this life, whether good, hard, or bad, as an opportunity for you to get closer to Christ, learn more about him, and submit to him more because you are no longer dominated by your sin and by your flesh, but you are now dominated by Christ. And so if that's the case, then again, every event, everything that happens to you will be at the aim of getting closer to the Lord because you know that someday you're going to be spending eternity with him anyways, right? This is just the prep grounds for us to go hang out with him in eternity. Um, I, I don't know if, if you guys have your Bibles open. You'll notice that I include verses 12 and 13, even though it kind of breaks off into a new section in most Bibles and, and breaks off into like a new, a new thing that Paul's talking about. Um, most commentaries suggest that these first two verses are not only beginning Paul's next section for uh, being heirs in Christ, as the title proclaims, but it's also finishing up the thoughts of, of what he's saying here. And so I included them. Um, well, because I can. So verse 12 then says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He uses the word debt. And, and in this, I have offered up to you this morning three benefits of being in Christ. The first benefit being you no longer stand condemned for your sin. In God's eyes, you are Jesus. That's awesome. Because are any of us close to him? No. Not even for a second. So we no longer stand condemned in Christ. We have been given a new spirit, a new way of life, a new mindset in how we deal with and do our life now. And we have been promised that despite the fact that we still have to deal with the effects of our sin today, God will faithfully get us through it. If we trust in him and stop depending on ourselves, I'm guilty of that. I do it all the time. I'll go weeks trying to do something in my own strength, only to fail and forget, oh, wait, I have the Lord. What am I, what am I doing? And I have to go back and, right. And, and so we have that, that promise that in Christ he's going to faithfully sanctify us, right? He's going to bring us to him ready to spend eternity with him when we're done here. And, and so with those three promises, though, there comes an obligation. Um, again, like I said, I, I like that. Well, I don't know if I necessarily like it, but, but I, I find it interesting that he uses the word debt, right? 
You are no longer... Well, I'll just read it again. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Right? We are no longer under the dominion of the flesh. Therefore, because we are no longer doing that, we are obligated to live according to the Spirit. As Christians... And, and I'm guilty of this most of the time. But we get into a, a way of thinking where we go, I'm saved. I'm good. And now I'll just go about living my life the way I want to live it. I'll buy the vehicles I want to buy. I'll do all the things I want to do. I'll pursue the careers I want to career, career want to do. You know what I'm saying. And, and we will go about our lives the way we want to do it. Or we will say we're Christians, but we won't live like we're Christians. We'll go to church on Sundays. We'll put on our nice button-up. Well, mine's not that nice. It's really wrinkly, but I don't really know how to iron that well. So what do you do? Um, we will come in. We'll pretend. We'll put on our masks. Hi. How's everything going? Good. Everything's great. But on the inside, we are still living as if we're in the flesh. We're still pretending like we are in dominion rather than God. And so the obligation for us, since we have these promises and these benefits in Christ because of the gospel, if you are saved this morning, you are not indebted to the flesh anymore, but you are indebted to Christ. Which doesn't mean that if, you don't, you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell. No, it doesn't mean that. It does mean that if you continue to do that, if you're really his child, he's going to get you. And trust me, I know this from experience. I have tried many a time to rebel, and the Lord just drags me back kicking and screaming until I submit. And that's what the Lord does. That's how he works in us. And, and so the obligation for us then is... I titled the sermon this morning, Live Like You Got the Spirit in You. That's what I titled the sermon. I didn't tell you that at the beginning. And for that, I apologize. I didn't think about it. But the reason I titled the sermon this was because if we are promised these benefits out of Romans 8 from Paul, then we are obligated to respond to them. We are obligated to be Christians. We are obligated to serve those who annoy us. We are obligated to preach the gospel to people, right? There's that saying that says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I'm not a big fan of that saying because in order for you to preach the gospel that Christ came and was crucified in the flesh for your sins so that you can have forgiveness in him and eternal life, you have to use words. And so we are called as Christians to do that. Yes, serve. Yes, love. Yes, sacrificially give up of things and be Christians, but also preach the gospel to people. These people are in the flesh. You should feel bad for people who aren't in Christ because they only see life on a surface level. They haven't been able to see the glorious goodness of God. They haven't been awoken to the fact that this whole life is for him. And if we were created to be that, then we're going to be most satisfied when we are with our creator. 
I believe it's John Piper that says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We should be wanting people to know that. We should be wanting people to see that God is good. And despite us living in his world and pretending like it's ours, he's still willing to forgive us. And that's amazing. And so as Christians, we are obligated to do these things. We are obligated to act like we got the spirit in us. Like we're actually saved. Don't just come to church and do church and then for the rest of the week, forget about it. Be Christian seven days a week. Because you only have so long before you're going to be standing face to face with him and having to go, so what would you do with the time I gave you? Uh, got a really nice boat, you know? What are you going to do with your time? How are you going to serve the Lord now? Um, I, I find it challenging for me because I, <laughs> I know that God has called me to the things he's calling me to, but I'm like a big chicken. I fear what people think about me. Uh, and sometimes I'm a coward. So I'm sitting up here saying, you guys need to preach the gospel to people. And, and I'm not doing it. So I'm not only challenging you guys this morning, I'm, I'm challenging myself too. Because it's easy for me to stand up here on stage and preach at you guys. But one-on-one conversation with someone I work with who intimidates me, <laughs> it's not going to happen. The Lord is working on me. And, and, and so I want to encourage all of us to do this. I'm not standing up here as some awesome hero who has it all figured out. No, I still struggle. Um, Is it going to work for me now? I had a grow. Ah, thank you. Okay. So Eric has been using this new acronym for for the application portion of his sermons. And so I tried my best to incorporate it into uh, here now. And so the first one is uh, grow. Gee, give it to Jesus. I want to challenge you guys to take these benefits of the gospel that you have in Christ and be encouraged to trust the Lord, to live your lives in a mindset that is in Christ. You are Christians, so live like it, right? And give it to God. Maybe you're anxious and scared. Pray. He's there and he's listening. He knows your heart and he is faithful to give you the strength to do what he's calling you to do. So give it to Jesus. Uh, R, repent. I want to encourage us to repent of something that I'm working on repenting of now. And that is me repenting of my unbelief. And what I mean by that is I'm the type of person who with my words can pretend I have it all together and I'm a good Christian and I'm a good guy, but on the inside, I'm doubting, I'm scared. I was prepping this sermon this week and I, I struggle with self-doubt, like real bad. And there were times where I had to literally stop what I was doing and, okay, Lord, I need to trust you right now because you have tasked me to do this, and I need to believe that you're going to get me through it. And that was hard for me. And so I want to invite all of us to repent of our unbelief. Repent of the times where you uh, give God lip service, but don't actually act on the things he's called you to act on. We need to repent of that this morning. So that's the uh, repent. Open your heart and your mind. I would encourage you guys, uh, and, and what he means by this is, is uh, getting God's word and learn and grow in your understanding of the word of God. Read the book of Romans. 
There's a really good commentary uh, that John used when he taught the Sunday school class. There's lots of good things out there, uh, commentaries and study guides and stuff that will help you study God's word. Read Romans. You want to understand the gospel better? Read Romans. And we need to do that because it helps us grow in our faith. Um, It's our food. It's our nourishment. You know, you can't expect to have the strength to do the things God has called you to if you're starving and not feeding yourself. So read Romans. W, work it into your life. As I've already said a bunch of times, right? Live like you got the spirit in you guys. We are Christians. Act like it. And I'm talking to myself too. We need to do this. We need to be people who, with new spirits in us and new desires and new wants, we need to, we need to live it out and be Christians. I guess I don't know how else to articulate that. Live like you got the spirit in you, guys. Serve. Serve in your church. We always need volunteers. Uh, think of others before yourself, because that's what Christ calls you to do. Do these things. Um, at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that little story about the fire fire it wasn't actually a fire praise the lord um i've you know i've got really nice guitars in there and i'd hate to lose those just kidding my family was in there too and i care about them deeply just trying to crack a joke guys come on wake up um at the beginning of the sermon i i mentioned this 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 peace i felt as i was running towards the house that i have house insurance so that no matter what happens to me they will help me out i mean that's why i pay them right that's why I pay them. I pay them so that if something happens to my house, they will pay me. How that makes sense in the long run, I don't know, but it does. Okay? Now, this illustration kind of falls through the cracks because, like, I'm not going to tell you to, um, like, pay Jesus to give insurance or give you assurance because that's not what happened. In Christ, he paid for us to be assured. And, and so as we go out today, as we leave, I want you to be reminded of these truths. Be ensured that you don't stand condemned before God anymore. And if that doesn't scare you, the prospect of standing before a holy and just God, pray so that you do. All right? Because that's for reals, yo. That's happening. He exists, and we're going to stand before him someday. So pray to that end. And then be comforted by the fact that you don't stand condemned. All right? Be ensured that we get Christ now. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If we have the Spirit in us and we've been given new mindsets, we can uh, finally wake up to the fact that all of this life is preparing us for Him. So then He becomes our treasure in life. Not fancy gadgets, not money we make from the farm and the ranch. Not family even, but him. All of this is leading to him. So live in such a way 
that you're desiring to grow and change to get him. And also be ensured that someday we're all going to pass away. It's going to happen. The death rate is 100%. Guaranteed. It's true. And, and so this morning, be ensured that if you are in Christ, you're going to get to see him someday. Have you ever actually thought about that? Actually getting to look upon the face of your maker and have him open his arms and say, welcome, child. Well done, good and faithful servant. Have you ever pondered those things? Or are we too busy with the surfacey stuff? I invite you to consider those things because it's going to happen. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer, and I hope that this week you will go out and remember the benefits we have in Christ. Remember, of, uh, remember the things that we are insured of because of what Christ came and did on the cross for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can um, come and hear your word feebly preached and uh, learn and grow and know more about you and your faithfulness and your mercy. Help us to wrestle with the truths that were presented here. Help us to repent where needed, God. If we are people who are living our lives as if on the outside we're believers in you, but on the inside we're, we're just pretending like we're not, I pray that you would make us aware of that and, and help us to uh, become Christians who from the inside out live as if that's what we are. Thank you for this time. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a good day.